Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families we are going to be speaking about when family partnerships fall apart. We all know that we don't go into any intended engagement with somebody else whether it be marriage, business partnership with the wish or the hope that it will fall apart but sometimes it just happens and today I have with me the wonderful Dana Garnett and she's going to be unpacking what happens, what are the key elements that lead us to that falling apart and how do we best handle it. So I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much. That's so lovely to be here. Um, I had been saying earlier that um, before we got recording, just how wonderful it is, this um, uh, the foundation you've built and the communications you get out to family businesses and to, to support them in so many ways. Um, being a, a mediator and someone who is all about helping people resolve conflict, um, what I find is the more clarity people have around any subject matter, mm-hmm. the less conflict or the less unnecessary conflict there is. So what you do in providing all of your podcast subjects and and all the work you do is, is fantastic in that support. Thank you. Thank you so much for that feedback. And before we get into the topic of the day, I would like you to tell my audience a little bit about yourself and the amazing work that you're doing so they get a, a feel of where you're coming from and your knowledge base. Absolutely. Um, I started out as a CPA, an auditor, a big eight accounting days, and um, Went through that career for a while, and then I worked for the Coca-Cola company for a number of years, uh, which took me internationally, and I was an internal auditor for a long time, and then I worked in in, um, managerial positions, Um, and while traveling as an auditor, uh, we had the lovely opportunity to work around the world, and I spent time in Lusaka and Harare and uh, Accra and different places, and then uh, I spent uh, an extended period in Nairobi. Um, and then I took a uh, position in Lagos, which uh, I was the facilities manager there. Um, and, you know, anything that didn't work fell in my head. <laughs> so it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was fun. And um, uh, I was also in charge of uh, building projects uh, in different locations with the Coca-Cola company. I later moved to Brussels, Belgium, and... Um, uh, helped build a building there. And so I, uh, I, I loved my work. And then I decided to um, uh, retire early. Uh, I, was, I became a trailing spouse in the expatriate world. My husband and I had met working for the Coca-Cola company. And um, so long story short, uh, I had not been working for in, in the corporate arena for a long time uh, when we ended up getting a, a divorce. And it was pretty horrible uh, as, as divorces can go. And um, that led me on the path of becoming a mediator. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I went through this process that, you know, when we go through breakups, mm-hmm. we're not prepared. This is not something we do every day. Although the people who 
are there to help you through it, help sometimes is the word, um, the lawyers and the therapists and all these people, right? This is what they do all the time. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, I had one attorney once tell me, yeah, I know it must seem like an indoor rodeo, <laughs> you know, for, for, for people going through a divorce or a mediation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't do this all the time, but we do, you know, and so we have to, we, the attorneys, we, the therapists, we, the mediators have to remember that people are going through this perhaps for the first time in their life. It's some kind of a breakup. Mm. whether it's a business breakup or a, or a marriage breakup. So um, I became very sensitive to that. And so I, I just, it put me on a path to want to help people get through whatever breakups are going through um, more easily or with as, you know, as little stress as possible, but also to help them avoid unnecessary conflict going forward. Mm. And when I became a mediator, I was trying to decide what do, you know, who do I serve? You know, because outside the mediation room, I get court-ordered cases um, all the time. You know, uh, civil cases, again, business business cases and, and divorce cases. But how can I help outside the mediation room? And so I reflected upon my time as an auditor and my time with the Coca-Cola company. Um, and all the time, I was dealing with small businesses and family businesses. I was in the merging business office of Coopers and Librand years ago in, in Dallas, Texas, and you'd go into clients' offices to do an audit and the father would be talking about how he wants his daughter to succeed in the business, but she doesn't want to. What do I do, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, 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 the husband and wife that just found out that their cousin, who's the controller, has been stealing from them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and all these problems would come up, you know? And I, as the auditor, I'm just looking to sample invoices and write reports, right? And I'm not, I'm not skilled at giving them any kind of advice. Um, but years later with the Coca-Cola company, everywhere we went, um, you know, we were trained to touch the cases and I would, I would go out on sales trucks. Um, uh, many, many uh, uh, great memories of throughout the continent of Africa, going out on sales trucks, you know, to see the mom and pop shops, to see the stores, to see the places mm-hmm. that people, you know, were running their businesses. And, and you'd hear these stories again, you know, oh, I wish my brother would be more responsible, or I wish this, you know, this could happen, or, you know, or our, our mother just died, and we're, we're in turmoil, you know, mm-hmm. the, these, these stories kept coming up. So when I became a mediator, I, I decided, you know, family businesses would be something that I, f- I feel I could serve because the dynamics are, are rich with, with issues often, but the but businesses are, are rich with issues. And when you combine the two, they can be quite explosive. Um, I was at a function not too long ago and, and, you know, you hear sad stories. A woman was talking about how, well, we're just waiting until someone dies and then all hell is going to break loose, you know? And mm-hmm. she was referring to a series of lawsuits was just going to start to take place. And she said, we'll lose it all, but oh, well, I mean, does that have to really happen? You know? Um, so, and those, and those are the, those are the sad stories, right? There's some great stories too. People that, that sought help, people that actually got out of their conflict, mm-hmm. they were able to, um, work more effectively with each other and, um, and knew what to do to avoid the unnecessary drama, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that's, so yeah, that's my path of CPA to mediator, um, and uh, so that's and and that's why I I serve family businesses because you know they are such a majority GDP across the world. All global economies mm-hmm. rely on family businesses, and particularly during the pandemic, mm-hmm. they have been hit hard. 
you know. Um, yeah. So um, and and we could talk about generational issues, you know, first, second, third businesses that are as third generation businesses that are um, struggling between just just you know um, how they all their expectations are different from generation to generation, you know. So, um, so anyway, I hope that answered your question okay about why I, why I do what I do and a bit about me and and um, and, and absolutely. why I'm so passionate about it. Absolutely. It also brought a lot of questions into my mind because you've obviously seen it from the inside and from the outside. And um, I think some one of your words, you're like the turmoil that people go through, which is the inside work, where you obviously go into a lot of these partnerships naturally sometimes. Sometimes we take the caution in trying to legalize them and make them above board or meet, meet corporate governance. But all this at times does not really help because you're still dealing with people, you're still dealing with emotions, and there's obviously feelings of sometimes disappointment. I have failed. I didn't make this work. I didn't do enough. So when you're looking at a conflict or looking at a family business that you feel this is not going the way it should have, or this is not what we planned in the beginning. What are the telltale signs that we need to start getting intervention or we need to start rethinking or looking at this before it comes apart at the seams? Right. Yeah. No, that's an excellent question. Um, one of the telltale signs is what I call recycling. If the same issue keeps coming up and those involved are saying things like, you know, I can't believe they said that again, or you're doing just what you did, you know, for the last 20 years, you know, or if the same, if the same arguments, the same issues keep repeating, what's happening is everyone's getting stuck in this, in this, you know, replaying the soundtrack. And we need a pattern interrupt to, to break that cycle. And, um, and so if, if, if you catch yourself saying or feeling like, oh, you, know, you know, why does this person have to keep doing the same thing over and over again? Why, why I had a, a gentleman call me you know, not, not too long ago um, and said, you know, my brother keeps taking out loans for the family business without letting me know. You know, and, and, you know, I know he's hired somebody that I didn't know about. He keeps doing this. He keeps doing this. If someone keeps doing something that um, is creating issues, that is a time to, you, know, you, need, to, you need to break that cycle. So that, that would be um, a good sign that you need some help, someone to come in to intervene. I, 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 ta I talk about often two types of, of conflict management, if you will, or conflict resolution. One is prevention, where everybody knows how to communicate effectively, and they and people are human. We're, this is not about trying to be perfect, right? But it's understanding how to have dialogue, understanding how to communicate, whether it's by text or email or, or in person or on the phone. Um, you know, what's what is the language we're using to connect more effectively? So that that's preventive work. Then there's intervention. You know, prevention and intervention. Intervention is it's it it really is coming it's a dire situation the business is breaking the relationships around the business are breaking apart you need intervention you need someone to come in um, to uh, to try to help resolve another telltale sign um, 
uh, would be, you know, considering what's happening to those around you. Oftentimes, if it's if it's um, a family, you know, maybe the husband and wife are in business together, uh, and, the, and the children are, are young, younger, you know, and, and they're not in the business and may never be in the business, which is fine. But those around you, you know, the grandparents, the, the children, um, siblings, how are they, you know, do they tend to like do this? <laughs> do they cower? Do they say, please stop, stop, stop? You know, are you know are, are those in your family saying you, you know, this is this can't continue, you know? I mean it, that the ripple effect you have on your family, um, are are they starting to suffer too? That's a sign that you may need some help. Um, and and I often uh, advise that what what tends to happen is people will go get help from other family members or from well-meaning friends, and while even your, you yourself may try to be trying to mediate the situation yourself, what happens is those that really know you well, particularly family members, um, they don't see you as objective. And that's why oftentimes it doesn't work to try to mediate your own family situation. You know, um, it, 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 getting someone from the outside to come in, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, intervene. You know, knowing knowing how to intervene without judgment, how to intervene without um, uh, insisting everybody get along right away. Right. Everybody needs time at their own pace to start to adapt to each other differently. And um, so this. Yeah. So trying to do it yourselves um, rarely works because nobody can see each other as objective because everyone has such family history with each other. They're going to do the finger pointing exercise again, right? No, but you said, you said this and you said this and you said that 10 times and right. And the finger pointing exercise, one point, one finger's pointing out, but three fingers are pointing back at you. Right. Um, uh, yeah. It's um, it's something, you know, not, not understanding our contribution to the drama and the trauma that's being created um, it's hard to look in the mirror sometimes, but um, so yeah, those so those would be telltale signs. Recycling of things, others around you being affected by it uh, negatively, um, and then you know trying to fix it yourself, but it's just not working. Mm, absolutely. So. And once we identify as a family, we identify we now need intervention. We now need somebody who's going to come and help us walk through it. I know the hardest thing for human beings is we, I think we have a proverb in my, um, in my traditional language that says that shame is more, is, is greater than death. Meaning that when people feel ashamed about something or they feel embarrassed they tend to stop engaging. They tend to run away and hide. They don't want to feel exposed. They don't want to feel stupid. And sometimes people become hard-headed because they want to hide from their shame. They're not willing to accept that there's something wrong and we need to work on, on this thing that is, 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 is wrong at the moment. From your experience, what would you advise people in terms of when you're getting someone to help you, allow them to help you? 
Um, yeah, what you talk about shame being worse than death, that there's something about um, it's what I, it, it ties into losing face in some, in some respects, I spent, um, I lived seven years in Thailand in Bangkok, um, along the way. And I, that's when I discovered mindfulness, in fact, and I, um, there's an expression there that, um, is about uh, my pen Rai, which is, uh, you know, we can't change the past. We can't control the future. So it's really living in the present moment is what we can, you know, what we should best apply ourselves to. And from there, the future will flow, right? A better future. Um, but something else I learned there, um, you know, it, it, I used to think that it was the, this Eastern philosophy or Eastern tradition of losing face, right? It's such a, it's such a, um, a deep thing. But I knew from having spent time in, 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 in living in, in various parts of um, the African continent, you know, that, that, that also exists, that, sh- that shame, right? Or that, you know, how do I, how do I get past that? But then I discovered, you know, as I got back to the States um, not too long ago, it's everywhere now. I mean, I, th- I think there's um, politically and socially, we, we are, there's so much shame showing up um, that it's hard for people to, to admit to having done something wrong. You know, this this concept of losing face. People get so entrenched. And, and like, this is a decision I've made. This is why I've told the story forever. I can't possibly change it now because I would lose my identity or my purpose of existence. People would, would see me as a, as, a, as, as a fake, right? Or someone that they can't trust now. And um, where you begin to address that is, and, and this is not easy in the beginning, but is to approach each other with, with you know, like an absolute value, meaning no judgment whatsoever allow people to admit that maybe they were wrong about something without saying, see, I told you, right? Allow someone to, to um, apologize and really receive it. And we're talking, you know, not just everyday things, right? These are generational things that can be, you know, I mean, shame and, and, and resentment and anger and hurt and all these things is, you know, these things get passed on. We, you know, parents teach their children who teach their children about this is why you need to be this way because this person did this years ago or generations ago. And, and um, you know, allowing each other to see each other, going back to the Mike and Rai, you know, present moment is where we are best to, to function, to, to have everything be, be easier in life. Take this present moment to recognize if someone is really, um, trying to overcome shame, allow them to, because no doubt there's something you too have maybe felt shame about, right? You know, something you regret, something that you wish you had never said or done, mm-hmm. and um, that could have had huge reper- repercussions. So, giving, you know, not so much giving each other grace. I had um, uh, someone re- once once say, Grace is, grace is saying, yeah, I'll give you grace. That means you've done something wrong, but I'm going to forgive you. You've done something wrong. That's a judgment. Instead, I'm going to offer you compassion. I'm going to offer you compassion because I can only imagine how uncomfortable and, 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 and difficult it must feel like to, to um, 
be wanting to overcome shame, but you just, you know, you're, you're in that process and you, you want so badly to have, um, to right or wrong, but no one's allowing you to, you know? So when you offer someone compassion to say, I get that you probably feel really uncomfortable about this and I'm going to give you some space to do that. I'm going to allow you to say what you want to say. I'm going to just sit and listen without judgment and, and then respond from there, you know, just, just have, have a dialogue that is forgiving and, and letting go. Um, letting go is so letting go of our own inner conflict with ourselves is as important as letting go of conflict, conflict with each other. Um, so I, I would, I would, I start with tapping into things that are, you know, it's very easy neurologically to tap into deep seated, uh, issues and, 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 and uh, shame or anger or resentment um, and clear those really quickly. Mm-hmm. Our, our ability to rewrite our neural pathways and our memories, not, not so much forget memories, but have them no longer trigger us. Because when you talk about shame, that's what's happening, right? Something happens and we get triggered and all the shame comes up again. Mm-hmm. So we get defensive and then we don't want to change anything because, well, no one's going to think I'm genuine about wanting to apologize or whatever anyway. So what's the point, mm-hmm. you know, and we go about our business and everything just keeps happening the way it does. And then everything falls apart. So did that answer your question effectively? It did. Absolutely. It then um, brings me to the question um, or it, gave, it brings me to the wanting to understand how can people bring their most authentic selves to the table? Besides shame, sometimes we get caught up in roles, responsibilities, and we become at times caricatures of ourselves because we are trying to please the world around us. And this may itself cause conflict in partnerships because as much as the world changes, so do individuals. And sometimes when you come to this table, you show up as the person other people expect instead of your true self as you have evolved into. And that can compound conflict. So how would you best advise people or what are your thoughts on how people can bring their most authentic selves to the table? Um, again, I, I love how you articulated that, you know, um, we become caricatures of something, right. And, and mm-hmm. not, not, not really showing up authentically, or we, or we, we we're desperate to show up, show up authentically, but we don't know how, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we keep saying things and doing things that are creating issues, but we just like, what am I doing wrong here? Right. Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is vulnerability. You know, I think we talk about that a lot more today um, in the world is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable um, and know that, you know, it, it used to be that making mistakes and failure was seen as a bad thing. I mean, in some, in some res- respects, it may still be seen that way. Um, but um, uh, failure, in fact, is just something that we need to do to succeed. You know, nobody comes out of the womb in life knowing exactly what to do about everything. We have to, we, we fall down a lot before we start to walk, 
right? And we, we, we make mistakes and, and, and we, we learn by mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing is to, um, I have a lot of quotes that I have uh, collected over the years. And one is always make new mistakes. Mm. that's the thing right so you know we don't want to be if we're not if we're making the same mistake over and over again then we get into the cycle right and, and that's what happens we become a caricature of something we think we're trying to be but we're, we're, we're making the same mistakes over and over again if we can bring some vulnerability into that and allow ourselves just to to um to admit if you know you know last meeting i said we're going to go this direction you know on this policy or this new product or whatever i heard what you were saying, you know, and, and I like, I like your idea. I, I apologize for not giving it more credence. And um, I'd like to hear more about that. Maybe we don't need to go this, this direction. I thought I'd like to know more about, about that. You know, I, I, w- I was wrong to jump so quickly ahead, you know, mm-hmm. be vulnerable, admit if you, if you have said something wrong or you feel, or you feel like you've um, uh, maybe um, upset someone or, or, uh, stepped on their, you know, stepped on their toes or whatever. It's like, just be human. Mm. And the, the, the greater, the, the higher, the, the more, um, I'm trying to say that the, the more you are the leader of an organization, mm-hmm. the more vulnerability needs to be applied because people, you know, people can relate to you if they see you as someone who's going to own up to taking responsibility for their actions. Mm-hmm. basically right and because this caricature could be like well the leader has to be you know just so and, and I experienced this uh, in my corporate years I was oh, I learned so many things I, I tried to be I had a mentor and I tried to be that person mm-hmm. it didn't fit me and I just came across as, as you know not a pleasant person to be honest to work with mm-hmm. because I thought I was this is what you do when you're in authority no you know I, I discovered particularly when you're an authority, uh, you have to, you have to remember that um, you're, you're a human too, and people are going to relate to you and to respect you mm-hmm. and listen to you. And you're going to get further down the path with what you're trying to do together if you um, are vulnerable. So that would be, that would be one thing about showing up authentically. Another would be to understand what it is to offer true empathy to other people. Um, and empathy is often misunderstood. Um, there are a lot of expressions we, we use that might seem empathetic. Like if someone tells you they've just, they've just made, made a mistake at doing something, oh, that's okay, it'll be fine, you know, and like, like trying to, try to just like gloss over it or something, something has happened and someone's upset and our, our thinking that we're helping well you know um you know are you okay oh you poor thing i'm so sorry this has happened and you know this happened to me don't feel so bad this happened to me one time when and we get off into a story about ourselves um or we try to educate you know you know well that's not the way you should have done it what you should have done you know and we're but i'm just trying to help you so you know for next time right we think we're offering empathy but we're really not um true empathy coming from a place of authenticity is, is guessing what someone else is feeling and what they're needing and expressing that. And then just leaving it at that for the moment, don't bring our opinion, our judgment, or, you know, what's going on with us in that moment. And, um, you know, if, if, if you're in a business setting, right. And you're, um, 
having an intense discussion, you know, around whatever, whatever the, the, um, the situation is, you know, every, you know, conflict, unnecessary conflict always comes up when everyone has to be right. You know, everybody will, will just have, you know, no, 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 no. We have to do this because this, you know, I've done the research and this is what has to happen. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, nothing's going to really flow effectively that way. But if we actually take time and listen to each other and, and, you know, wow, you sound like you, you feel, sounds like you feel upset about what I've just said, because you need to be heard and you, you've done, you've done more research on this and you need to, um, uh, be heard and understood that you, you've developed an expert in this and, and you would like some appreciation around that. Is that right? You know, and that person's like, yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, but it doesn't mean that we have to squelch whatever's going on with us at that moment. We can also offer that, okay, well, at the same time, I'm feeling concerned about how little time we have left to finish this project. And so, you know, all this research you've done, this is great, but what are we going to do with it? Are you open to seeing how we can pull what you've done, given the time we've had, and come up with the best solution going forward? You know, so now it's like, sure, you know, everyone's feeling appreciated, you know, and so that's, that's another way of being authentic, especially when you're, when you're leading a business or you're working with people, um, whether it's family or not, you know, but, but in families, especially, I mean, just, we often think because of their family, we don't have to be, you know, somebody we would be with somebody, you know, outside of family. You know, oh, they'll understand me. They get me their family, you know, no, we need to treat our family with just as much respect as we would anybody else, you know? So does that answer a couple of points around being showing up authentically, being vulnerable, but also understanding absolutely. how to offer empathy? And yes, absolutely. Our time has run out, and oh. I would like to just ask you to share one final piece of advice you would like to leave my audience with, which um, can help them as they navigate or if they're ever confronted with a partnership of some sort coming apart and they're uncertain on how to navigate it. Absolutely. Um, even if you are the only person who sees there's a problem and nobody else wants to address it, no one else believes there's a problem, but you're, you know, and you're thinking, gosh, you know, I'm the only one here. The beautiful thing is when it comes to resolving conflict, you don't need everybody around the table to do it. It just takes one person to shift within themselves and to shift into understanding how to communicate differently and how to perceive what's going on differently and in doing so, that ripple effect will go out to everybody. When you shift how you are contributing to the situation and how you're responding to this cyclical stuff that can keep coming on, right? When you change your response, it changes everything else. And nobody ever has to know you've gone to get help. No one ever has to know <laughs> you've, you've learned something new. It's just you show up differently and the dynamics shift. And I, I had a, a client do that. She had 10 years. She and her brother were just going at it. Their father had died. Um, 
made her head of the business. The brother gets upset about it, goes off and creates his own business in the same very small niche environment uh, market and um, cuts off the family. You know, I mean, just very sad things happening. Right. Um, and she was exasperated. And, and when she, I, we worked together and within just a couple of months, she had, she had made this shift where none of that drama, none, none of all those generational complexities in their family business were getting to her anymore. And her own family was getting some ease, you know, cause she was, you know, she had let go of a lot of things. And within six months of that time, her brother actually called her up to see if they could reconcile some things because and she, she just, she wasn't, she wasn't feeding the conflict the same way anymore, but she wasn't resigning herself to things either. She just knew how differently, how to, how to navigate it. So that would be the thing I would leave people with is if you feel like you're in a situation where nobody gets the problem, but you, or you think you're the only one, it just takes one person to shift a situation, mm-hmm. you know, and it can be quietly and subtly and, 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 and effectively and, you know, it, it's, um, it, but, but can be hugely powerful in saving a situation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dana, for joining me today. It has been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.